Good morning. Good to see you. Happy Sunday. My name is Ross. Welcome to those of you online as well. Um, I'm excited to dive into um, our passage for today. Uh, we're finally hit summer in Dubuque, right? It's there. Saw 80s this week. It's going to be a little crazy. Someone from the first service said, you know, I can notice you got some sun. I said, great. He's like, yeah, because this line on your forehead. Okay, I just need to confess right now. Primarily outside of the pulpit here, I wear a backwards hat, okay? And I need to probably figure that out and get a hat that's like transparent and figure that out. But either way, we're going to jump back into our series on Fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we kind of un- unpacked last week how our flesh, um, our, our sinful flesh opposes, it's opposite of the Holy Spirit given to us by the Lord. And we saw throughout Galatians as Paul was expounding that in this opposition, we must then choose a path to follow. We must then choose to surrender because God's after our salvation. He wants, he wants unity with us again. Uh, we cannot have it apart from him in Christ. He wants our salvation, but he also wants our transformation. Uh, this process we talk through uh, quite often around here called sanctification, this process of being made holy in his image throughout our very pursuit and life and the fruit of the Spirit can help us engage and walk within that. And so that's why these, these different fruit are very important, that they would be portrayed uh, in Christ through us as a collective fruit of the Holy Spirit within us. So let me pray before we dive any deeper, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for my friends and that we're able to walk with you, God, through your word. I ask that you would bless our time with you, Father, that your word would illuminate to us the steps we need to take uh, in following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Between 1853 and 1870, Emperor Napoleon III commissioned a really brilliant man by the name of Georges Eugene Haussmann. Okay, so Hassan was commissioned to renovate Paris as we know it today. This renovation, we're talking far and wide, streets, sewer system, fountains, and believe it or not, also what we would know today as sidewalks. See, sidewalks are essential. We would know that. They're important. I remember when we first moved to Dubuque area, we began to look at homes to live in, and one of our criteria was that we would find a home in a neighborhood with a sidewalk, right? We know sidewalks are important. They're important uh, to us, but we know just because they exist doesn't mean we choose to use them. Now, you can begin thinking of the people who fail to use sidewalks right now. Go ahead and think on them. Just give them a break, okay? Because I was one of those people. Throughout college, I would uh, just naturally be like, hey, I'm equivalent to hitting like a medium to large-sized deer. So, Anyone who chooses that in their vehicle, so be it, right? You know, like, good luck to you. Uh, But I know that was unwise, and I didn't have any issues of being hit. Um, I would, you know, I'm thanking the Lord for that. But I know that as I've grown older, I must become wiser because I should probably uh, do that to be, you know, a good example to my kids. But also, I need to live longer. So it's just all all is in the package of that. But these sidewalks, although they exist, we need to uh, choose to use them, choose to walk alongside of them for safety, uh, for better traffic, you know, foot traffic and and car traffic flow and all of this. Uh, But similarly, when I think of engaging with the fruit of the Spirit and the Spirit so within us, it's a similar choice that we need to make to walk by the Spirit. 
That, that Paul's words that we reviewed last week, let us walk by the Spirit in Galatians 5.16, is a similar choice for us to do so as in we would choose to walk on the sidewalk. We need to choose to engage, choose to surrender continually in our process of being transformed by God's gracious work by the Holy Spirit within us. Remembering we are the branch, us rooted in the vine of Christ, so we must bear fruit. So before we get any further on our topic of joy this morning, I want to make sure we get to our application of love that we had to miss last week. So let's go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 is a classic passage that often at weddings or different things like this we read in a commitment to what are our characteristics in love that comes from Christ we should be on display in. And this is that fruit of the Spirit which we are progressing to be transformed in in our day in and day out of love. Before we get too much further in 1 Corinthians, I want to read our core passage for our series. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. We identified this love to be selfless, that we can truly experience from God. Yet the characteristics to be on display in our life are listed pretty plainly in 1 Corinthians. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Do you feel, friends, as followers of Jesus, if you are, that you portray this kind of love? Uh, as being a pastor in the area and even years before, I would often meet people and explain that uh, they would ask, what do you do, you know, uh, full-time vocationally? And I'd say, I'm a pastor at a church. And depending on the room or the circumstance, I would get different reactions, right? People who follow Jesus and, and, and have grown to know the Lord and attend a local church, they would be excited to hear more and want to lean in. But those who are far from God and they maybe reject that Christ is the Son of God would often question a bit deeper and wonder, uh, but also maybe reject my reality of being in the full-time vocation of ministry. It came so far to the root to one person I was talking with helped me recognize some of the hurt they had been walking through when it came to the way that Christians would love. See, in this context, he had said, I know the scriptures command a different type of love that you say you express from God, yet I fail to see it. Because the love I feel from the church or those who would call themselves Christians is hateful to me. Oftentimes when we, were, we, we walk through this passage, we, got, we have to question ourselves. Do you carry an everyday love that produces in kindness, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud or does not dishonor, isn't self-seeking or is not easily anchored or keep no record of wrong? Is the love that you show to those around you consistent with that? Oftentimes we may sit back and say, ah, but they need to hear that truth. I loved them even though I was unkind. But yet, can that, friends, truly be the love Christ wants us to display? The love that the Spirit through us is portraying for us to display. 
that, that cannot be so, or even the love that is self-seeking, the love that says, I need to just monitor this relationship and, and love as much as I can get back in this scenario. That, my friends, is that the true love that is described here in 1 Corinthians? I would say not. Because as we've experienced the true, everlasting love that comes from God, and now it's not self-seeking, it, it's kind to us, although convicting and true, that, that God's love is kind in the way he offers us a gift through Christ, that, that we see his miraculous love, not self-seeking or easily angered, yet, yet patient and loving towards us. We must, by the fruit of the Spirit within us, portray a similar type of love. Friends, I would say on the grand scale, as a body of believers, Christ's church, we should grow deeper in the way we love those around us who don't know him or do know him, whichever it may be. Not making excuses to portray love that isn't kind or love that is envious or boastful or, or proud, but yet love that is humble and loving like Christ's love you've experienced yourself. So, so a world around us may know him like we do as well. Shifting to joy this morning, because of this great experience of love we, 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 we experience through Christ, we're able to put on display to those around us. We can't help but experience everlasting joy. Everlasting joy is an interesting word, and I want to break it down to you a little more plainly to help you engage with this idea of everlasting joy we can find in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because it's different than the joys we may find throughout our life that I would call conditional. When I say everlasting joy, I mean it's an unconditional, meaning no circumstance or condition could take it away, the joy we truly find deep-rooted in us when we recognize Jesus as Savior, this joy that, 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 that cannot be taken away. And we can experience joy in different conditional ways in our life, that when we experience moments at work that go our way, we can experience a conditional joy. Based on that condition or circumstance, we then have joy because of it. We're guessing on the opposite end, you may not experience joy when something goes wrong at work. Or maybe a student in the room, whenever you uh, studied hard or not and got a passing grade, uh, the condition of the joy you feel in that is based on that grade itself. And I say or not because has anyone been in a scenario where you didn't study at all and still passed the test? Okay, a few people willing to be honest. Thank you. I know there's more of you. I know more of you. No. It was similar to me. All great things which we can experience true joy from, but they're based on the condition in which we were to experience. This everlasting joy we find in Christ, though, is rooted solely in Him, and His condition never changed. It's unconditional that we receive from Him. We, we see that in our trials and hardships, this conditional, unconditional joy we have that withstand them, that, that no circumstance or moment could take the joy we truly have in Christ away, or even in the sicknesses we face. We can find un unconditional joy in Jesus, who is the, the author and perfecter, sustainer of our faith, and we know the eternity to come. Every person, my friends, can have true unconditional joy that comes with Christ, and we're going to find that in 1 Peter together as Peter begins to help illuminate this to us. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, we'll be walking through a few verses together this morning, and as Peter talks through uh, a few points I'm going to illuminate with you uh, this morning and, and, and leads us to this idea of inexpressible joy we then have due to Christ. And so we're in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, and we're going to start here in verse 3. 
Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Right before this passage, uh, Peter opens up, as an apostle of Jesus, uh, opens up really plainly, grace and peace, I'm writing to you. And in this context, he opens with this statement then in his letter, encouraging remembrance. Praise be to God, for why can we praise? Because we have been given new birth into a living hope through Jesus. Through Jesus and his sacrifice, right? The resurrection of Christ that we see to be true. See, this is the, the, the culmination of why we experience and celebrate and rejoice and bring praises on a day like Easter. Because through the resurrection of Jesus, we are then found new life, new birth, a living hope that we can rely on in Christ to unite us with God, to, to bring us back in relationship with a holy God, not by our will or our way, but, but his, not by our power, but the power found and mighty power found through Christ. Further, this inheritance can never fade or spoil. It's kept for you. We know that then when we surrender to Jesus uh, through the work of, of holy salvation, we then inherit uh, eternal, eternity with him to come. But yet Jesus, remember, God, he wants the transformation to begin now and be a process we step into now. And so we have this living hope living in us now to those of us who have surrendered to Christ. Praise be to God for that, for the inheritance we've received begins now in our life to be encountered for eternity to come. Point number one for you, friends, today is remember the hope we have in Christ. We must remember the hope we have in Christ because by this very mercy and grace, we experience this hope. You have been saved and set free. We must remember and praise be to God for his mighty work, his grace and mercy, which he gives us through Jesus. And our steps of transformation uh, and through walking with the Spirit, as Paul so describes in the fruit of the Spirit, we must be on this journey of being reminded of our true root in Christ, in Christ alone, by which it gives us power and direction, uh, but, but by which it too gives us the Holy Spirit to be fruits on display through us. We must be in this, in this work of, of seeking after Him and choosing to be in step with God's Spirit within us if we call on Him to be saved. If we begin to forget or fail to stop and remember, we may fall into patterns that that are for our own will, our own desires, may even fall into worldly desires and sin that would be slowly out of step with him. Friends, remember the hope we have in Christ. And that is our first first point and just step in uh, recognizing the joy in which we can respond with. In verse 6, Peter lays this out. He says this, In all of this, what we just mentioned, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
in remembering Christ and the mercy of God through him, we then, in all of it, can greatly rejoice. Rejoicing being this feeling of great joy. It's in order when we experience this mercy and grace from God. Remember last week we talked through how God loves us and we receive the love of the Father through him sending his one and only begotten son Jesus on the cross for us. But of course experience the love of Jesus for being faithful to the mission. Of course he was completely perfect uh, man living on earth. Experience experiences like you and I. He understands where we walk on this earth that is broken. But yet we see the immense love from the Father and Son Jesus as he sacrifices all for us. This statement, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and trials, I don't think I can um, share enough and, and really in any other way illustrate how we face many trials in our world today, in our life today, many hardships and hard moments. But that in verse 7, sufferings test the genuineness of our faith. Maybe that's why in James um, it's written we should consider it joy when we face many trials. In James 1, 2-3, we see, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That through our hardships, through our trials, we know that it produces a deeper faith in us. For Christ was everlasting. Christ continued along with us, led us, and even provided for us through them. For the married in the room, I don't need to convince you that marriage can be hard, right? It can be tough. So far as to where you have a conflict between one another, or even the relationships outside of you bring in conflict or trials or hardships. You face moments together through marriage that can be really difficult, even when you're going to order dinner. I'm going to get this. Well, I thought about getting that. Could you get something else so I could try that? No, I want this. Well, but how about you do that other thing that I kind of want, but I want what you said you wanted. No, but I want this. That is the least amount of trial, you know, as married in the room, you would know you can face, I'm sure. But on the other end, if we fight and, and and, and seek after Christ in our marriage. On the other end, we look back through our trials and hardships, and we see the reward at hand. We see that through our trials and hardships in marriage, all, all you know, as small or big as they come, we can look back, and as we're faithful, and, and we chase after Christ together in unity, God uses it to, to breed better unity and trust with one another, but also surrender to him. Our faith and work in our marriage has created something different through a refining process of trials that nothing else maybe could. Trials in our marriage produce depth in our unity with one another and God. How rewarding is that? Yet we certainly don't want to face them. But yet we know that they produce perseverance in our faith, a genuineness in our faith that is worth greater than gold, Peter says here. Relationships, if you're not married in the room, have a similar outcome. In your closest friendships, I have a few, a handful of guys from college and even high school that I'm close with, but I can mark times in our friendship that we grew so much closer through conflict and hardship, whether brought on with each other or uh, with other kind of friends in our circles, whatever. I can almost name them to you, but yet on the other end of this refining time of trials, 
comes a greater bond and friendship. As we loved each other well, sought after Jesus together, and worked through them. Friends, I believe we know the trials when they come, but do we know the God's everlasting joy that we can experience through them? That only comes from him, rooted in our remembrance of what he's done, rooted in our true devotion to him as we follow and trust his word. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter uses this beautiful phrase, though you have not seen him. He's indicating to uh, who he's writing to, but also we can take it up today too, that they haven't seen the historical Jesus like him. And though they have not seen him, yet they love him, yet they believe. Friends, that's you and I as well. Though we have not seen the historical Jesus, yet we love him and believe. The Christian life's marked by this belief. Even when we don't physically see, we spiritually know. We spiritually see. Can, in the deepest desire, trust the workings of God we've seen on display in both the miraculous and the day-to-day. We can't, we can't run from it. It's just there. And this idea of um, believing yet we don't see and loving yet we don't see is an incredible mark of us who follow Christ. Last point here for you, trust God to give you true joy. In this moment where Peter is wrapping through how we can remember in Christ and his great mercy, yet through this remembrance, through our trials that come and go in our life, we can then know the true inexpressible joy that comes with Christ and trust him to give it to us. You see in the statement here in verse 8, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible joy. From points of remembering and stopping and seeing, but also just through inexpressibly by the Holy Spirit in you, being filled with this inexpressible joy. We can trust God to give us that joy. Peter was clear that for those of us to remember him and, and seek after this inexpressible joy, but as we even walk through and, and remind ourselves of this, there's kind of two sections I want to illuminate to you of how we can see uh, and, and, and respond and feel this inexpressible joy that which we can have today. And the first one is the joy of salvation that we have. Peter said that pretty specifically, the joy of salvation that we have um, with Christ. That this joy and depth joy that we can, we, can, we can rest in, that God loved us and he sent his one and only son to save us. For an eternity to come, if we so surrender, we have this unity with God that produces this great joy, but also the joy and transformation through the Holy Spirit. When I was in high school, I gave my life to Christ in like seventh grade, and I had come through high school, and I was just seeking to learn more and understand um, and, and read. And my leader did a phenomenal job of helping me understand the difference and where my joy can be rooted and the idea of my true joy being rooted solely in Christ. Uh, Because I found joy of meeting with him and being discipled by him naturally, he would often remind me, Ross, just make sure to remember that the joy you find in us being together will only be so long. That's great. It's because it's on a circumstance, you and I. But the joy that you have in the Lord and you find in him is everlasting. Because the circumstances of you knowing God never changes. 
He's always there, persistently present, unlike me. And and illuminating this idea of transformation, that God is ever so present with us as we sit with him, and and true transformation, as we choose to be walking with and led by the Holy Spirit within us, we can find joy through the process of being transformed by Christ, being edified by him, reading his word and, and changing with him as he leads, changing our mind, as Romans 12 says, the renewal of our mind, and throughout scripture, as we, we take steps to understand and obey the commands of God, we can rest in true joy that come with those, us being obedient, the joy of transformation. Romans fifteen thirteen says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you recognize the true everlasting joy, unconditional that we receive from Christ, not only remembering his great sacrifice, but also through the process of him transforming us today and tomorrow and forevermore. Throughout this series, we're choosing different fruits to um, illustrate, maybe bring a remembrance to one of the fruit of the Spirit. And we've chosen blueberry this weekend, and uh, I want to explain the reason why. And these aren't like super spiritual fruits, okay? It's not like we said, this is the fruit God intended when he said, this fruit of the Spirit, okay? It's not that, so don't hear it as that. It's just a creative thought to get you thinking. And when I thought of blueberry for this, I was thinking, and my son eats like a thousand blueberries uh, a minute. He's crazy into blueberries. And as I was just praying and thinking through this sermon, thinking on joy for those, I was able to just be reminded of the joy I find in the Lord solely and not the circumstances around me. Um, but I was thinking of this idea with a blueberry that oftentimes throughout life we can allow circumstances to determine uh, the, the moments of our joy. And even in the moments that you feel blue or down, even when those moments you can trust in the joy of Christ that can be found in you by his Holy Spirit by the ever so presence of you walking alongside of him step by step, remembering but also trusting in God to give you greater joy day in and day out. Um, a blueberry is not special, you know, but what might be special is the moments you stop and remember that Christ in his great sacrifice, through his mercy and grace, you can trust him to give you greater joy and that everlasting than in the momentary we take students on retreats and camps. That was probably one of the first big shifts for our student ministry here. I really value summer camps, probably because I got saved through one. <laughs> and so I see immense value in taking students to summer camp and even on retreats on the weekend and things like that. But oftentimes we try to really focus on a topic or, or focus on a scripture for the week. Um, and then we try to really, through 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 worship songs or whatever, really help students illuminate different parts of the Christian walk as well, but not maybe as focused as the, as the one that we want to get through the week with. And one of them is the song we would often sing because we really want students to experience the true everlasting joy that comes with God that is not based on our circumstances or test scores or anything like that. It's only rooted in Christ, remembering he's Jesus, uh, that he was sacrificed for us and trusting him to give us that continual joy by the Spirit. And one of the song's words I wanted to read to you because I think it's partly just a challenge for us to continue to view this joy in this way. Um, But it says this, and I'm not going to sing it, okay? 
It, it, it sounds so much better in the song, all right? But I want to speak the words to you now. It says this, joy unspeakable that won't go away, just enough strength to live for today. So I never have to worry what tomorrow will bring because my faith is on a solid rock. I'm counting on God. This joy is unspeakable. It cannot go away. Christ has given it to us as a gift. That just enough strength to live for today. I never have to worry what tomorrow might bring because my faith is rooted in him and the joy from him is a solid rock. I'm counting on him today, tomorrow, forevermore. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, God. Thank you for helping us see the eternal, everlasting joy we can have in you that is unconditional, doesn't change with circumstance. You are an unchanging, loving, caring God. And our faith rooted in you, Lord. Um, God, I just pray we would continue to be rooted in you and the fruit of your spirit be on display through us in greater love, but also an everlasting joy we can have in you. May we take steps this week to remember the great sacrifice of Jesus that gives us new life, a new birth into a relationship with you for eternity. That should cause us alone to greatly rejoice. And God, I thank you for the rejoicing that is in order because of that. So I pray, Lord, we would grow in joy. We would grow in experiencing the joy that you want to gift and fill us with to be on display to those around us. God, we love you and commit our week to you. In Jesus' name.